The Incomparable. Number 335. January 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. We are here to talk about a classic film this time. Classic science fiction film from 1982. It's E.T., The Extraterrestrial, as directed by Steven Spielberg. Joining us because they got lost while picking flowers are my following guests. David J. Lore. Hello. Elliot. Elliot's not here. Uh, Chip Sutterth. Hello. I look forward to this discussion of Et the Extraterrestrial. Mm. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about uh, Mary Hart, John Tesh. Oh, not that ET. <laughs> Sorry. Oh very, I've been studying for this my whole life. Very really. confusing. Uh, David Sparks also joins us. Hi, David. Hi, Jason. Remember years ago, I told you if you ever do ET, you need to make me the most excellent promise you've ever made that you would include me. Yeah, and here we are. You see, I keep here my promises. Are. Like when I told Anthony he would be on the Alien episode, it took years, but it, you know, it happens eventually. And Erica Ensign. Hi. Hello. I was just excited to watch a movie about intergalactic gardeners. Yeah, that's right. Botany. <laughs> Botany, mm-hmm. one of the less appreciated parts of science fiction. Sp- yep. Exobotany, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a fan. Any opening statements <laughs> to ask these days? <laughs> Sometimes people come prepared with opening statements, and I want to, you know, I, I want to hear them out. I kind of have an opening statement. I love this movie so much. I was in the theater when I was a kid when it first came out, and I'm, I'm definitely here as the, um, the blind fan. That's okay. Just, just put that out there. All right. All right. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I doubt we are going to savage. This is not a rocket surgery. I doubt we are going to savage ETV extraterrestrial. I could be surprised. I will point out that uh, something I had forgotten, but uh, when ET was released in June of 1982, Star Wars was the highest grossing film of all time, and ET surpassed it and became, yep. for, for a decade, the highest grossing motion picture of all time until... Another Steven Spielberg movie, Jurassic Park, passed it in the 90s. So this was a success on essentially every level. Everybody saw it in the 80s. Everybody loved it. Uh, They didn't put it out on home video for like six years because they just kept re-releasing it into theaters and made people increasingly angry. Uh, and, uh, then for many years it, it, uh, it may still, but I, for many years, I think NBC broadcast it on Thanksgiving night as sort of a good for the whole family holiday film. So, yep. I think the most impressive thing about ET's, uh, species, by the way, is that they travel across the galaxy using only the power of rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't make me make David ang- Sparks angry with me this early, please. <laughs> the rainbow drive. The rainbow rainbows drive. Rainbows and flowers. It's a perfectly, yeah, they, we come with rainbows seeking your flowers. It's great. It's pretty awesome. Uh, all right, so... Uh, E.T. is a, a, it's a very interesting movie in that, uh, I was gonna, uh, uh, before I start summarizing the plot, I guess I have an opening statement after all. I've surprised myself. <laughs> oh, twist. Oh, what? I say this about some Miyazaki movies, Totoro and uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, very specifically, in that there's kind of no bad guy in E.T. There's Peter Coyote, who is Keys, the government agent who is uh searching for et but even he in the end is kind of uh turns out 
is not a bad guy. They're just trying to find this alien la- that landed. Um, there are threat more threats than a Miyazaki movie because you do have the sort of sinister music as the government people look for E.T., but mm-hmm. it's pretty gentle. It, it's a pretty kind of delightfully gentle movie. I have not seen it since 1982, and it stuck with me pretty well, but... I did not remember it being so lyrical. I didn't remember it being so sweet. You know, it it, it felt like, it felt like just a big blockbuster back then. Um, it's very different uh, looking at it with severely aged eyes. Yeah, I had kind of the same experience. I I don't remember when I saw it for the first time. I know it wasn't on its original release in the theater because we couldn't afford to go to movies. So I suspect I saw it like on VHS later or, or maybe one of the re-releases and maybe saw parts of it in between then and now, but didn't have a whole lot of memory. Like the memories that I remembered were that the the threats, as you put it, Jason, in the film were more heavy and real than they are watching it as an adult. So I think it I think that, you know, that that worked. And there are whole swaths of the plot that I did not remember that existed. So yeah, I think it's it's a different experience watching it as an adult. But I think that the reason that it worked so well, and, you know, became the top grossing film for so many years is because it did feel like it was a, a a real threat and a, sort of a scary movie to kids to some extent. Interesting to me is when I was a kid and I saw it the first time, of course, I identified with Elliot. You know, and, and and that's part of the reason why I love this movie so much is it is a time capsule of my childhood. I had a friend that wore a ski mask. We played Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, <laughs> the, stu- the stuff in the movie that you look at it with 2016 eyes, you say, oh, that, none of that happened. No, it all happened. The toys in Elliot's room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. We, we would get on our bikes and we had to be home when it was dark. And other, otherwise, our parents had no idea where we were. And it mm-hmm. just was kind of it was a snapshot of my childhood. So, of course, I love that now. But as a kid, I identify with Elliot. Then my daughter, who's now 20, when she was like four, I hadn't seen the movie in years. And uh, I said, well, I think she's ready for E.T. So we watched E.T. And I just I think I got very nostalgic seeing that stuff. But also the interesting thing to me was when I watched it when she was a child was I identified with Keys, which I hadn't seen the movie mm-hmm. from Keys perspective, you know, but. Huh. You know, when you think about it as an adult, you're watching, oh, my goodness, these, these people have this alien in their house and, you know, <laughs> their kids. And uh, so it was it was a good experience for me from both ends of the uh, transaction, I guess you would say. I, I feel, I, again, maybe as an adult looking at it, but the threat here is not really a threat that anything te- they're going to do something terrible to E.T. The threat is more like they're going to ruin our fun. We have an alien <laughs> in our house. Uh, I don't want anybody else to know about it or, or, or find him. I just want to keep him for myself as the, Hey, Erica, it's uh, I want an alien for Christmas, right? I, I want, yes, that's exactly it. I want to, yeah. I just, it's, he's, he's mine. He's my, my, my pet alien. And so that's the threat from the government is like, you know, they want to ruin everything by like learning about him and maybe, you know, cause honestly, could ET have communicated to his home and radioed home more effectively with the resources of the federal government? Probably. This felt a little more sinister than that in that I I thought that there was kind of a bad guy, which is the ignorance of adults. Throughout this movie, except for Elliot's mom, you never see, it's almost like uh, peanuts come to life. You never Mm -hmm. see adults' heads. You never see anything like that. And the first time that you actually see a full-on human silhouette is when you've got 
when when you've got dudes in astronaut suits uh uh walking deading their way in yeah. the in the front door oh that's super scary i we, we need yeah. to talk more about that when we get there but you're right i mean yeah you're right there it, it's a threat and if you're a kid it seems like a threat it's just as an adult i look at it and i think yeah you know is that is it really that scary uh, you know the music is 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 scary that's actually one of my first notes is that this is john williams a year after raiders of the lost ark doing a score that um at moments is the uplifting E.T. kind of music that we think of, but especially in the early scenes, it's much more Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it's sort of slow and kind of uh, dissonant and spooky. And I think that does, I think that goes a long way. The, 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 the people in their cars going through the forest and the, and the John Williams music makes it seem scarier than, you know, at least as an adult, I look at it and I think, eh, you know. They're just looking for it. They think there's an alien spaceship that landed in the forest because one did and they want to find out about it. You know, that's not not unreasonable, but maybe this means I'm terrible and I should get a set of keys and put it on my belt. <laughs> We're also looking at it in a post X-Files world. So now we can mm. empathize with FBI agents looking for aliens. <laughs> I kept that's expecting true. keys to sort of morph into the dude from the starman tv show opening theme where he's talking to camera i can get you the alien but he doesn't it's peter coyote he tells a nice story at the end about how uh he's been dreaming about aliens since he was since he was elliot's age and it turns out he's you know he's just a regular guy and he feels really sad like all the doctors do but we'll get there Maybe we should start at the beginning. Ooh. That's a very good place <laughs> Interesting. to start. We, we see Keys investigating. It's all dialogue, long stretch of, of no dialogue here. We don't really, that we see the people investigating the alien uh, landing. You know, uh, the, the, there's a spaceship there. Uh, they're going through the forest gathering plants. People are coming. We see the Keys. There is this John Williams score that is great, but it's, it's, it's sinister. And then in the end... Uh, the alien spaceship sends out its call for its to recall all of its uh, botanists or whatever, and uh, one of them gets left behind, and that's uh, that's our buddy. That's that's the the titled extraterrestrial. <laughs> I love the uh, I love the way they when they they're scrambling to look because they think there's one left, and they watch yeah. it take off, and they, there's a shot at a fence where all the flashlights point up in the sky, following the uh, spaceship and then simultaneously they all go down and start their search. Um, mm-hmm. It's very Spielberg to me. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. There oh, are, yeah. there are a number of, of times where things are, you know, realism is sacrificed for the sake of, of getting the shot or making something beautiful like keys, for example, who keeps moving his keys from one side of his hips to the other. <laughs> who does that? It's his thing. He's got a lot of keys. He's got to unlock a lot of doors. That's the thing I kept thinking too. Is like, why yeah. do you need that many keys? <laughs> Back in the days when the size of your key ring, you know, showed how important you were. I love the world building of the, you know, the interior of the ship. You know, you pay attention and it's a botany expedition. The aliens Mm -hmm. are visiting us to check us out the way that we would be doing uh, theoretically uh, 200 years from now. I love it that we're the we're we're the indigenous we're the indigenous life forms and they're the (laughs) clever scientists, except for the clever scientists who can't figure out that it's time to go. Yeah. He's just caught up in, in getting those plants. They, they have a prime directive of some sort, per, presumably. Uh, but also, I like the fact that these are aliens. To, to get back to the X-Files point, they just want to probe our plants, not, not our bodies. And that's fine. That's, they're nice. They they're just they're like looking for salad. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hungry. <laughs> a, a technical issue here. So the the all the suburban stuff is shot in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California, but the forest stuff is shot like in, in like Northern California redwood forest, I believe. So it's a it's a hmm. it, this is a this is sort of a suburb that doesn't quite exist where there's this kind of amazing forest right backing up on the suburb, but still we see we see down into the suburb uh, into essentially the San Fernando Valley. It's never specified, but that's where they shot it, uh, where uh, the the alien perhaps is going, and we see a house populated by a bunch of kids. There are older boys who are playing Dungeons and Dragons, and there's the younger boy, Elliot, who wants to get in on the action. There's a lot that goes on in this scene. There's a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. There's the there's the whole D&D thing going on. Elliot trying to get in with the older boys that are playing with his brother. Um, but I wanted to stop and just say, it's funny in the highest grossing movie of all time, the places where you find um, influence and like stranger things would not exist were it not for this scene like th- this scene is stranger things it's mm. the people who made that that movie that, or that that netflix series said you know that scene in et where they're playing dungeons and dragons what if we did a whole show of that because that's basically like mm. it's all there freaks and geeks also uh, seriously references this scene in et this is like for me this is the 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 ground zero of uh you know uh, of 80s uh kids uh, playing and and you know ordering a pizza and all that stuff. It's all right in here, which yeah, it just I, it struck me how how much quotes that that scene in the house. Agreed. And and it it really I mean that's what we were doing. You know I remember playing the very brief amount of time I played D and D was right around when E T came out. Oh yeah, the D and D people must have been very happy that there's role playing happening. Even like the dialogue is a little edgier than you'd see in a kids movie these days. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And yeah, you don't um, hear yeah. douchebag thrown around in a lot of kids movies these days. Right. No. Or, or I, penis breath. Yeah. I remember how scandalized my mom was at penis breath <laughs> and then and and that immediately ensued with a well they did that just to just to keep it from being rated G and yeah that that hmm. kind of yeah. Yeah. But those were the words we were using at the time. I mean it's not it's 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 a, it's a, it's accurate. Yeah, know? but my mom didn't like to think that that was the case. Those yeah. are our sixteen year old boys doing what sixteen year old boys do, and then there's you know, or fifteen year old boys, whatever, and then there's you know, ten year old, eleven year old, whatever he is, somewhere around there, Elliot, who wants you know, who wants to play with the big boys, but he's the little brother. I do think they're trying to get across the point that D. Wallace is trying to hold it together. The breakdown of the nuclear family was a big deal here as well you know she's she's only she's recently separated she's not divorced yet yeah it's 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 been recent um but that's a through line for her and the kids is throughout is you know the abandon uh, the abandonment Mm -hmm. by dad and the 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 just the the trauma um that that really that that seems to inform elliot uh, a little bit, you know. I've got to find somebody to take care of here. It's very clear this is a very personal movie for Steven Spielberg. His parents split up when he was young, and that that's that's where this is coming from. Like this is this is his his childhood issues kind of brought into this fantasy setting, uh, which is kind of a classic thing. I think to do, uh, it is recent. He's he the father has run off to Mexico with his his new girlfriend. Uh, he doesn't even like Mexico. 
but he went to Mexico anyway. It's the, it's it's tough. So um, so yeah, she's she's trying to D Wallace is trying to hold it together. They order a pizza, which turns out I think they're not supposed to do, and they have Elliot go get the pizza from the the delivery driver. But on his way back with the pizza, he thinks there's something in the garden shed. Dun dun dun. And there is. It's an alien. It's totally an alien. There's an alien <laughs> in the garden shed. No, 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 it's a raccoon. It's a raccoon, Shirley. Mm. There is a raccoon in this film. It's just later. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> so so Elliot is uh, intrigued. He also steps on the pizza. <laughs> Kills me yeah. every time. It's like, oh, no. You had one job. You had one job to bring the pizza. I think this scene is interesting. So he goes, throws the ball, and then the yep. ball comes back ball out, comes and back. he flips it flips out. And then, again, just kind of another sign that D. Wallace is is barely hanging on. The kids all grab knives. And oh, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, um, and then Michael says, he looks at these tracks that are clearly not a coyote. <laughs> yes. Says, Mom, the coyotes are back. That's one part of the movie I can never understand. It's like these do not look like coyote tracks. <laughs> it's dark <laughs> and, and they don't, they're not prepared for aliens. It's just, it's mostly just scuffs. Like you don't actually see any very clear footprints. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, but I do like she. I think she even says like, "Don't." She tells them not to do the knives or what. Everything. That's the, that's the thing where I where as an adult I look at it and I just feel so bad for her because her life is kind of falling apart and she's trying to keep it together. Is in this scene she tells the the boys not to do everything they do and they <laughs> just blow right past her. Knives. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've seen families like that. Yes. <laughs> Hello, parent of a fourteen-year-old here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so Reese's pieces are used as a uh, as a, uh, a, a an attractor, a lure. Yes. Yeah, that's my that's one of my favorite things. It's just like that is that is perfect kid logic. Like you know, what do I use to attract an alien? Yeah. Candy. Well, Reese's Reese's pieces because sure. you know candy is sweet, and who wouldn't want candy? I love right. it. Right. I want Reese's Pieces. I can lure this animal and or alien back to my house with, with, uh, with candy. But he has a peanut allergy. No! Oh, no. <laughs> That's the alternate ending. <laughs> when he's on the table at the end of the movie, he says, Peanut, peanut. allergy. Peanuts. <laughs> I don't entirely understand why that works. Uh, there, I don't exactly understand why in his away team manual, E.T. thinks that uh, the logical thing to do when the ball is thrown in is to throw it back out. And when uh, a, a, an indigenous child leaves candies lying around that he follows around to pick them up. Well, at that point, he might be hungry. Can you really blame him? But he brings them back, or at least many of them back. Some of them. Some of them. I mean, That's think not. about how many must have been left out there to, the to forest, yeah. lead him all the way home. So he saves like six for, for Elliot. It's, right. a, it's a small gesture. <laughs> In, in my head canon, he uh, he recognizes Elliot from the first meeting, from the pizza meeting, and says, well, maybe this is a place I can be safe. This is the place where uh, the fact that I've only basically seen it once, and it's loomed so large as a pop culture piece of history, and now I'm seeing it again after so much time. This is where old brain um, really has me at a disadvantage, <laughs> because I keep expecting the movie at this point, and I keep expecting E.T., to behave more sensibly than he does. I have complex headcanon about E.T.'s behavior, too, which is mostly that E.T.'s kind of a screw-up because 
I mean, let's face it, he got left behind on an alien planet. He's kind of a screw-up. Yeah. And I also think he's kind of whimsical. Uh, he, a little bit. This is one of the many things that E.T. has in common with Yoda, maybe. I think he, I think he's kind of like having a good time. And he's like, he, it's a kid. It's going to be fine. Um, and the other the other thing I would throw in there is also, they're aliens. They they do weird stuff. The way they think about <laughs> situations, and this this, oh, this comes Jason. up later, they just do weird stuff, you know? Who, could, who are we to say that this is not perfectly logical behavior for them in their culture we don't know maybe the prime directive is to not interfere with the ball so send the ball right send back Send the ball back that's right but that's interfering with the ball jeez david whoever you are <laughs> so chip you you agree with me then that et is a screw-up basically <laughs> he he's definitely not exactly uh starfleet's finest no he clear, he got left behind on it on the away mission because he was too busy with his flower pot or whatever. He's the Barkley of of this group. That's what it is. Let me take a break from our episode to tell you about our sponsor this week. Our sponsor for the incomparable is Casper. An obsessively engineered mattress is a shockingly fair price. You probably heard me talk about it before. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress for a couple of years now. And we love it. It's it's really a fantastic mattress. And they can pay me to read their ad. They can't pay me to endorse their product. I would have to actually like it. And I do. It's a really great mattress. There are supportive memory foams in the Casper mattress that create this award-winning sleep surface. They like to say it's just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's got a feel that is very different from the mattress that I used to have, which I've likened many times to a trampoline. It was really bouncy. Um, my cat would like leap off the bed if I sat down on the other side because he was disturbed. He's a finicky cat, but it was kind of unpleasant. Now I sit down and I don't feel like I'm making waves. I'm just sitting on a very comfortable, sinky surface. And I also don't feel like I'm getting sucked into it when I'm laying there. It is supportive as well. Pretty remarkable. I like it a lot. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. And here's what I think is the best part about a mattress you order over the internet instead of seeing it in a showroom. Uh, First off, you can't learn a lot from showrooms anyway, because you're laying on there for a couple of minutes. But the best thing about Casper is they will send it to you and you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. So there's really no no risk here at all. Get it. Try it. If you like it, then you know you've paid for it and you've got a new mattress. And if you don't like it, you call Casper and they'll take it back and you're out nothing. So it's Casper understands is what I'm saying. They know how important it is for you to sleep on it, literally sleep on it before you commit. And they're going to let you do that for 100 days. There's free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. And guess what? You can get $50 off any Casper mattress purchase if you go to www.casper.com slash Snell and use offer code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Casper, obsessively engineered, shockingly fair prices. Check them out. And thank you to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. Ah, so E.T. brings the Reese's Pieces back. He follows Elliot to his room. Um, there, we get a lot of interesting, uh, interesting stuff in here. They are, uh, they are mirroring each other's movements. Well, but you also get right before that, you get a, I guess, what is he like a 10 year old explanation of how the world works. And that was just precious. I thought, mm. um, also I would add that the, 
the soundtrack, the music of, I think it's called Meeting of Friends on the soundtrack. It's the music that he plays. It's a harp and very soft music. I think it's some of John Williams, like really mm. nice work. If, they, if you're listening to the soundtrack, I think this, the music they play, this is perfect for that scene. Yeah, it's, you're, you're right. There, there is the, he tries to, Elliot explains how, uh, how the world works and what various objects are. At various points, and it's delightful because they are. It is, it is so wonderfully without any context that any alien could possibly understand. It's great. <laughs> yeah, the idea that he explains what a car is using a little like Hot Wheels mat- matchbox car. Yeah. Like even if the alien could understand the words he was using, that would make no sense. No. We use these to get around. How? But but Elliot's so deadly serious that it just I, I just love it every yeah, time. He, I he's see trying it. so hard. He's trying so hard. Yeah. Uh, so precocious. Why does ET eat the car? He's just an alien. And aliens do weird yeah, stuff. Again. Well, why not? Everything else Elliot has given him has been food. Maybe we can eat this too. Mm-hmm. It's little. A piece of metal. Do we eat metal here? Sure. Maybe. Oh, no. He has a matchbox car allergy. No. This this had a real impression on me as a kid. His whole plan of faking being sick to stay home from school where he's got, the, stuff. he's got the, the, yeah. uh, the, the um, thermometer and he's putting it on the lamp and he's got the, uh, the heating pad that he's putting on his face. <laughs> and then his mom comes in the room and he pull, you know, pulls the heating pad off and puts the thermometer in his mouth. And I love that little bit where he puts it in backwards and then realizes and yep. just but you know, a nice Flipping little around. detail there. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many kids burn their tongues <laughs> trying to copy <laughs> that. Well, you got to you got to be careful doing that cuz if you actually put the thermometer right to the light bulb, it will shoot up so high that your mom's going to know immediately yeah. that you 120? Are. That's <laughs> right. Not that I've ever tried that. No. <laughs> There's a subtle science there. <laughs> this is more getting to know each other. The movie so when you watch this movie multiple times, you realize that they are because um, what happens here is they, they, Elliot and E.T. are connected. They're sort of, they're mentally connected. And um, you can see it happens at an early point. Not only are they kind of, uh, E.T. is kind of imitating his movements, but you have the whole, um, the, uh, the startling with the umbrella that yeah. E.T. is startled and Elliot gets scared. So it's like they are very clearly connected. Even if you miss that on first viewing, they're very clearly connected. Yeah. yeah. I don't know when that happened. It's it's not really clear, but it, very early they're connected. Yeah, I thought it actually was, in retrospect, was meant to happen uh, just after, like just before Elliot falls asleep because they're like looking at each other and they're both like rocking back oh, and forth. And I was like, can E.T. Yep. can E.T. hypnotize this kid? What's what's oh. happening? <laughs> and I didn't put it together until much later that that was probably the time that he was sort of like inserting himself into Elliot's mind. Oh, my God. That's pretty sinister, actually. Um, <laughs> a little. A little. See? Whoa. See? Dan was right. And there's also the scene, though, when when they uh, when Elliot when E.T. first comes back and they're in, like I guess it's like a cornfield or something, these tall weeds and they both flip out at the same moment and that seems to me very similar too but maybe it's just because they're both seeing each other this is where elliot introduces et to his big brother michael and to his little sister gertie well that's the second one's more accidental yeah <laughs> oh yes because he makes the this is david this is your you got to make the most excellent promise yes and i have absolute power over you, got you. It. you have absolute you got power it. yes mm. there's this there's a <laughs> there's a bunch of yoda references in this movie too uh and it's great because Gert sees sees E.T. and screams and uh, the scene that follows her scream all I could write down in my notes was madness because it's just (laughs) a delightfully chaotic like everybody running around with their hair on fire moment in the movie at that point 
It's great. I hate movie scenes when you have the everybody screams moment. Uh, it makes me just break out in Home Alone hives. But <laughs> this time it works. It just really does work. It's glorious. Yeah. So we watched this with the whole family, and I I turned to my daughter as Gertie appeared on screen, and I said, "Hey, Drew Barrymore," and and Jamie just says, "What?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, it is Drew Barrymore at her cutest uh, little uh, five year old self." In this movie, it is very funny to see her and realize that she went on to have like a whole uh, career. But here she is, little little sister. Adorable. So adorable. Uh-huh. So adorable. Madness. <laughs> also, I love the fact that, that he introduces his brother to the alien so quickly. Like, because, I mean, they could have stretched that out and had some more wacky hijinks with him trying to hide E.T. But I, one of the real charms of this movie is, is you know, the kids sort of, not even versus the adults, but just the kids banding together and, and being kids. And I love, I love the idea that while he is the younger brother and he does get treated like a younger brother most of the time, he still, he still loves his older brother and, yeah. and wants to bring him in on this. So he does. And then, of course, the older brother... It, it treats him very differently after that because oh my god it's real yeah it's real yeah is does mm. do the any of the rest of you get a fairy tale vibe from this story uh, oh uh, yeah of course specifically specifically because of the fact that for most of this movie it's the kids versus the adult it's the it's the it's the the three children who are teaming up to protect and take care of their new buddy um it's yeah uh, I, I, I came into this expecting more science fiction than I had, and, uh, I got fairy tale and that threw me off a bit. I'd say it's also classic children's literature and just in a way that the parents are absent yes. or at least it's structured. So the parents are not involved. I mean, Harry Potter is like that too. There's, it, it is that same sort of idea that it's the, you know, the kids, the kids are the ones who have the adventure, not the parents. Yeah. Instead of killing off the dad, they send him to Mexico. Yeah. He doesn't even like Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we, we skipped over that scene, but that was a very interesting scene, watching it again as an adult where, you know, they have kind of the, the dinner confrontation. And that was pretty heavy. You know, I don't remember yeah. as a kid that scene, but looking back on it. Could you get away with that scene today? I don't think so, no. I, I, think, I think people are too jaded about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the goal is to show that she's shattered, right? They, they might show that today. It might be a different way that you'd show it, that she's, she feels like completely uh, destroyed here, and he's running off having a good time, and she's left, she's left holding the bag. But it's a classic. That's a classic <laughs> move. So, you know, it's still, I think it still works, but they might do, handle it differently today because divorce, you know, yeah. The, this was at a point where, where culturally we were just, uh, you know, accepting that divorce was a thing that happened all the time where it, it was still and still kind of shameful uh, in a way that it probably isn't today. Well, and, and also it's it's, you know, Spielberg's own experience. I mean, he, he did have an imaginary friend as a child when his parents split up this. I mean, that's the germ of the idea that became the movie. Sure. And so it's it's coming from his experience of it. It's not just, oh, well, here's how we're going to show this story. Here's how we're going to show this couple breaking up. It's uh, It feels personal in a way. Sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. The Let's see what else happens. Oh, there's a great shot in here because we keep cutting back to brief moments of the uh, of the people and keys searching 
for the alien. There's a great one of those shots where you know you zoom out and dolly in, so the the back the mm. background kind of recedes, mm. uh, which Spielberg used to great effect in Jaws actually, and uh, you get you get yeah. a great shot of that here with uh, as as Keys is uh, in looking down on the subdivision that uh, that they live in. Uh, Gert declares that she doesn't like E.T.'s feet. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I thought that was I thought that was good. They're weird. They are weird feet. They're shaped funny. Her non sequiturs are some of my favorite things in the film. <laughs> yeah. This Drew Barrymore is awesome through this whole movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. alligators in the sewers. We didn't even mention that. <laughs> Watching it now, I I wonder how much of that, how much room he left for improvisation and and just sort of random things, because you know there, some of those things you wouldn't necessarily script. So you know maybe that's her saying. Yeah, he's got weird feet. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, he they ask him where he's from, and he uh, makes a play doh float to make like a little mm-hmm. uh, solar a system. Little solar system. Yeah, yeah. And he makes a he makes a flower come back to life, a dead flower. He's got powerful. He's got powers. He can levitate stuff. Again, mm-hmm. alien. He's got weird. There's weird stuff we don't know about him, but he's living in the house. <laughs> oh, and and th- there. This leads into a. Uh, a scene is is this where the scene happens where the mom looks for um looks for what's going on in the closet and sees all the stuffed animals and ET's just in yes. with the stuffed yeah. animals. That That's is a awesome. that is one of the most amazing scenes in any movie ever. That he's mm-hmm. just got his eyes wide open completely surrounded by all of uh, all the stuffed animals. It's iconic. Yeah, that supports Jason's ET as Yoda theory as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that Twitter account, one perfect shot, that would be uh that would be a yes. campaign for that, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally. I do like the and that's right around the scene. I'm not sure exactly chronologically where um D Wallace is is telling the bedtime story and they have that shared mm-hmm. closet in ET and Elliot, the world is right for them as they sit there and listen to the mother tell the bedtime story. It's very sweet. It's mm-hmm. kind of where things start to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Is that, are they doing like, uh, isn't it like Peter Pan? Yeah. It is. Doing... It's Peter Pan. And it's the part where they're talking yeah. about, you know, clapping and believing in yep. fairies to, to bring them back to yep. life, which is, you know, thematically appropriate mm-hmm. giving the end of the movie. And in a way, it's it's the moment when the adults start sort of intruding and getting in the way. All right, so here we go. It's time to dissect some frogs at school. <laughs> what kind of school? I mean, did anybody else dissect frogs at that young age? He's like 10. Uh, yeah. Julian's 12, and they did frog dissection. Yeah. Yeah, that's we did it when I was in seventh grade, and I... I did pretend to be sick to get out of it. Is seventh grade how old you are when you're when you're ten? Because I also did it. In no, ten, ten, ten is fifth grade. If he if he if he's truly okay. ten years old, I'm not sure it's his age is ever specified. So even though the actor mm-hmm. was ten, you know, we we could we you know, th- I think they're suggesting he's yeah. I mean, old enough to to uh, to have a girl he likes and dissect a frog, as it was handed down as a tradition from the olden times. As my younger son loves to point out. Uh, he always remembers when his older brother was in fifth grade and they got to dissect owl poop. That was the most exciting thing for like three years. <laughs> yeah, but this, so. when you dissected frogs in school, did anybody have to kill the frog? No. <laughs> I didn't. No. No. <laughs> they were already no. dead. I mean, I, that's the part I can't get over. That was the creepiest part. That was, and that was mm-hmm. sort of the, okay, this sort of, this, this sort of presages what's going to happen when the uh, agents come to investigate E.T. But right. it's, it's Chekhov's dissection. It, it, it really is. But uh, yeah, I, 
I, I had the already the pre-dead formaldehyded frogs, yeah. not the kill them yourself. Yeah, put the, drop the cotton ball in <laughs> yeah. there and they'll just go to sleep. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. And I don't know if they ever did it that way or if that's just a construction in order to have them be freed by Elliot. But before we get to Elliot freeing them, we have to talk about what E.T.'s doing at this time, which is... <laughs> which motivates the freeing. E.T.'s hungry and thirsty, so he's gonna, he's gonna drink beer, but he doesn't like potato salad. That's no good. And he just raids the fridge. I love the way the dog has finally accepted E.T. as just yep. part of the family now, because he's just he just <laughs> follows him into the kitchen full of hope yeah have that potato salad he, which he does because et he might drop some it. food yeah and he does he's he's an alien he's he's a little clumsy um but this is where we see that uh that uh that et is connected with elliot because uh elliot is feeling the effects of et drinking the beer elliot burps Elliot's uh, acting <laughs> wacky, and then eventually Elliot decides to free all the frogs and and uh, and have them be turn them loose in the classroom and out of the classroom, and starts a uh, more madness, more more uh, another wacky scene where kids are running around crazy, and uh, delightfully he uh, he ends up. Um, mirroring the movie that's on the television back home uh kissing the girl in his class the blonde girl <laughs> in a in a romantic <laughs> gesture as the uh, frogs all uh leap around behind them yeah, stepping on the kid crawling by mm-hmm. so he can reach up to her lips <laughs> yeah. yeah and it is future, yeah. future playboy playmate erica elenia yeah and baywatch uh, yeah. co-star erica all oh, right yeah Mm-hmm. You know, I enjoyed that scene as a kid, but I think I enjoy it more now as an adult watching that every time. It just delights me. Well, it's charming. And it's it, and it's total magic realism at this point because there weren't mm. that many frogs in the room at first. And all of a sudden it's biblical. <laughs> it's lots yeah. of, lots of fun. <laughs> and, and then the, the Williams score is like classic Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It swells Swelling. in. Yep. And yeah, oh, it's great. Yeah. So some other things that are happening here. So so I, I enjoy there's a there's a telephone ad that E.T. watches. He looks at the Buck Rogers comic strip. He's putting together a way of uh, of uh, of of communicating what he wants to do in terms of uh, get, you know using a phone and uh, and uh, reaching his spaceship and all of that. So you see sort of like the the building of the of the lexicon here. Um, the let's see. Uh, the uh, Gertie is watching Sesame Street, uh, so he learns from he learns from that while he's also reading the Buck Rogers co- comic strip. Uh, and uh, it, somewhere around in here is also where Mom uh, Mom comes home while ET is wandering around, and that's there's yeah. <laughs> some like f- almost farce of uh, you know him moving around and she's moving around and she doesn't see him, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. She opens the refrigerator door and he just topples over, yeah. and that's just. Gloriously funny. She's not looking down that far. <laughs> that was another one of my favorite Drew Barrymore moments. The man in the moon, but I think you might have already killed him. <laughs> <laughs> She's just so blase about it. Oh, well, I guess maybe you don't get to meet him after all. She gets the phone call from the school, and the, the line that I thought that I didn't ever notice before, but I that I, I caught this time is you hear her say at one point, I am not paying for frogs. <laughs> yep. yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I think when she takes him home, that's what she says. I, mm-hmm. I draw, I, that's where I draw the line. Yeah, that's right. And we get we get a be good in here too be good so mm-hmm. the learning of uh of how et is learning how to communicate with uh with the humans now thanks to his 
maybe not the drinking beer, but the watching TV and and listening to Gert. He's he's starting to put it together. So then Elliot comes home. Yeah. Oh, I I have another Gert line that I wrote down because it was great. I taught him how to talk. Now he can talk now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Elliot's just so offended, I think, because she made so much more progress. Yeah. And and, and she dressed. She dressed him up. And she dressed him up. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> that alien. He's gonna he's gonna be treated like a. Like a like a dress up doll, and that's fine. It's adorable. And a spy van rolls through the neighborhood. I just throw that in there too. Meanwhile, <laughs> the government spy vans are on the move. They're getting closer. Every I, again, as a kid, I don't think I noticed this, but you notice it as an adult watching it. That like every time we see them, they are that much closer. It's like incrementally closer to right. the house. They're figuring it yeah. out. And listening to everybody on the block. Listening to all the conversations. That's right. Including yeah. the ones that our characters are, are having. But, you know, mm-hmm. can you really tell? If somebody was talking to an alien in one house on a block and you could l- listen in, would you know they were talking to an alien or about an alien? Yeah, I don't know. Now I can tell my kids. See, kids, now the government doesn't need a van to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about the time that they're putting together the machine, too. Yes. It's time to build a phone to phone home. We've got the speak and spell. We got the uh, we got the umbrella. We got a can, <laughs> aluminum foil. <laughs> yep. Again, aliens. A saw blade. A whole bunch of wires. Yep. It's technical. And it's wind powered, apparently, yeah. right? Because it's the 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 blowing tree doing the chunk 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 with That's the true. saw blade, right? Yep. All oh, right, mm-hmm. right. But when they're collecting the tools, is also when you get the big conversation between Elliot and Michael about their father, and that's the first time you really have any discussion oh, yeah. of him. In the whole movie, yeah, and it it doesn't really it, it doesn't really inform the or push the plot, but it gets the it gets that mood across. Um, although it's, I'm not sure that if I'd been in that situation, I would have uh, talked about Old Spice or Sea Breeze or whatever. You know, the the, the scent of the shirt <laughs> that that might not have been where I would have gone. But yeah, yeah, Spielberg's a sentimental guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, you know, this is one of the reasons I love the movie is that yes, it has a plot. Yes, the plot moves, but the whole movie is not about the plot. It's about getting getting to spend time with these characters, yeah. and you know, and that is really a hallmark of seventies and eighties, early eighties films that I, I kind of miss these days. I kind of miss that you know we have to have continuous moving and plots and explosions, and you know, I'd like to get to know these characters because. That's, you know, the difference between all the different aliens with kids movies are the characters. You know, you could argue that the plot, that there's another movie going on that's a much more conventional movie, which is government scientists try to find a runaway alien on Earth. Yes. Yeah. And in E.T., what we get is occasionally we will cut away and see that that movie is continuing. And that's like the plot. And it's like the kids are are playing with their alien friend. And there's still there's some plot here, right? Because they're 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 learning. But it feels like the much more conventional plot is happening somewhere else. And occasionally we see that it's progressing. And then eventually at the end of the movie, it collides with this movie and they have to deal with it. And it's okay for that to happen and for it to be so oblique because we already know how that plot works. Exactly. We don't we don't have to see it in detail. And then I'd say the third plot is, you know, a family is trying to a blown up family is trying to deal with it. Yep. Right. Which which you just don't get in a kid's movie these days. I don't think, you know, Uh I don't think that would have been covered. Yeah. This is where we learn he's got healing powers, too. Right. Do we? Well, he made the he made the the flower come back to life. No, no. And he he gets the cut on his finger. 
Right, and he, he heals the cut. His finger glows. His fingertip gets all glowy. Because aliens have powers, man. They have powers. Weird things. That's right. It's Halloween, and it's time to get dressed up. So what do you do when you've got an alien? You could take him out. Of all the days, you could take him out as an alien and say, look at my friend. He looks like an alien. But no, they put a sheet on him, cut some eye holes, and it say, yeah, he's totally a ghost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really ingenious. Uh, I, I love that. I love the scene where uh, mom is just a little too excited, a little too over emotionally overwrought over how cute the kids look in their Halloween costumes and snaps the picture and stuns et immediately yeah this this movie is really good for falling over gags it seems like the mom's a little lit to me i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) and i I do love uh, drew barrymore just getting pissed off and pacing (laughs) waiting for them (laughs) yes and then et finally allowed to walk out in the world and he sees a world where people are dressed in these totally weird things uh, and then at one point he sees somebody in a Yoda costume and thinks, ah, one of my people and is going <laughs> to is going to chase after Yoda. And then they have to kind of like steer him away because the, goal- and the music I- at that point turns to Yoda's theme from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, John yep. Williams wove yep. that right in. It's great. And that was because I remember seeing it like either opening weekend or the weekend after. And that was the hugest reaction. Yes. Agreed. For the whole yeah. movie. Agreed. The, the room went bananas. Mm hmm. I remember that. Memories from 1982. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Elliot and E.T. are off on their bike, on, on Elliot's bike. They, they're they joined at this point. It's their bike. Um, <laughs> in order to deploy the, uh, the phoning home. And we see our first instance of flying bikes. I had forgotten that the flying bike happened so early in the film. I was just remembering the later instance, but then I, I just realized it's it's Chekhov's flying bike. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And Elliot is coughing. This is the this is our first sign that E.T. E. is getting sick. He wakes up and E.T. is gone. They have to search for him. Elliot's getting sick. Michael finds E.T. This is grim stuff. Michael finds E.T. Yeah. all kind of gray and and laying in a laying in the water. Yeah, being like snuffled by a raccoon. What gets what's worse yes, than that? Yes, there's your raccoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the last thing. If you can't defend yep. yourself from raccoons. It's bad, man. I heard the helicopter coming in, and I was not remembering the movie pretty well. I was thinking that this would be the moment when, uh, you know, the the government agents sort of swoop in and grab him. Uh, But it's not quite that grim. But um, throughout this movie, all the way up to this point, you know, I I feel like uh, Elliot and Michael and even Gertie, you know, they know the kind of movie that they're in possibly before they're supposed to. They they fig I think they 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 surmise that E. T. is an alien. They surmise that the government agents are going to come in and swoop in and pick him up and uh, and all this sort of this sort of thing. They've got to keep him away from the adults. They don't ever consider that you know getting an adult to help out would be a good idea, which is very prescient considering what happens. But that's that's one of the things that I have trouble with about the movie is that they know which movie they're in just immediately. Hmm. Yeah, so this is... Uh, so now the link, obviously, the, things start to move really fast at this point. Uh, this is where we get we're, we're, we're sick, I think we're dying, where Elliot is now referring to them as a, as a unit. And the mother's holding the coffee and she just... 
let's go and you just she slowly pours it yeah. out onto the floor that's such yeah. a great B- because reaction. michael does the smart thing and it's so believable that when they're getting really sick okay it's time to bring mom in on this yeah yeah and right. and and, it, and of course it doesn't work out that well because mom is justifiably freaked out about this and she wants to protect her kids from the scary space alien and then she almost immediately discovers that She's just as much as at threat and that that it's a dangerous situation for everybody as well, because it's, you know, knock, 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 astronaut calling. Yeah. Okay. so something. All right. (laughs) I love Uh (laughs) I love I love this movie, but here it is. Yeah. But this is this is weird. And I feel almost not knowing the story behind this. I feel like almost that this was somebody's an image somebody had in a dream or in a sketch that they made or something like that, which is like, you know, you open the door and there are astronauts standing outside because it feels very dreamlike. And one of the reasons it feels dreamlike is it doesn't make any sense that people, that people would be wearing like Apollo astronaut suits. And and when they're going through the mini blinds too, that one got me as a kid. I'm like, what? Yeah. (laughs) And not only that, but just (laughs) walking with arms outstretched. I mean, like a Scooby-Doo villain. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I mean I, I get that they're supposed to be like hazmat suits. But they or have something. hazmat suits in this movie yeah. and these are but not them. It's a separate them. thing. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, it's it's bizarre. Again, I, I feel like what this is is it's it it's scary and a weird, creepy, indelible image, and all of those things are true. All of those things are true. And yet it's it's sort of we're the evil space aliens, you know? I think that's that, that's right. part of the that that's part of the message. You know, they come in with their NASA patches and their big gold visors, but they're the scary ones. You know, they're the aliens and the folks inside the house, including ET, are not. Yeah. And, and you get the desired effect, but the interesting thing is that's it. I mean, that's the only scary part. Because the next thing you <laughs> yes. see is they're they've got them in a hospital bed, and they've got a bunch of doctors taking care of them. And it's like they didn't go anywhere with that. I think for good. It's just another example of sacrificing realism to make something that looks cool. Yeah, and amp up the drama a little bit. I wrote down fun image, but why? <laughs> and it's yeah. like that's it. It's like yeah. it is a fun image, and that's why. And you know what? It's a great image, and I remember it. I, I will say this. I'll give the movie credit. The movie never tries to do like a lot of work to explain that image. It just moves on, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which is good because I, I would say a lesser movie would build all sorts of dialogue about why it was the way it was and things like that. And it's like, no, just, you know, no, forget it. You saw it. We we moved on, and now we're in a hospital setup, and the people have some some like hospital gowns and hazmat suits, and no nobody is an Apollo astronaut anymore. And I mean, if if you want to go for the magic realism and the dreamlike logic, I mean, for the characters in the house, yeah, it it just something totally scary is happening, and they don't understand what's going on. Okay, sure. But as as a movie that we are watching, it's like oh, right. You could, yeah, okay. you could you could definitely argue that it's like from their perspective, it is this. Then the people then people showed up at the door wearing these crazy suits, and they were everywhere, and we were freaking out. Right. And this is a this right. is an illustration of that. Even though they were really hazmat suits, and they they weren't coming through the blinds, but it felt right. like that. <laughs> and that's and the movie's trying right. to get across that feeling. It's just that it just stops me cold every time. Where it's like eh, space. 
band. And then it goes even further, and the house gets uh gets given the Breaking Bad treatment. It gets you know, tinted. The, uh, right. It gets tinted. Uh, everybody's got everybody's bringing their oxygen with them uh, for the it's longest the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you know the, the the point is this is not your house anymore. You this is not your home anymore. It, we 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 are taking it over because this thing that you have is so scary and unknown keys sees this as an opportunity to learn yes but everybody else is following everybody's still follow following the the government bureaucracy military model here of take it take control of the situation take charge and fear and fear right the children are open and curious and enthusiastic and the grown-ups are Mm -hmm. afraid yeah, I was actually perfectly fine with them tenting the house and stuff. I mean, that seems like a logical thing to do uh, oh, when yeah. you have, uh, you know, a possible you know, contagion incursion. from another planet. Yeah. The the thing that got me was how quick they were to just discard that, like inside. <laughs> you know, after after E.T.'s dead, suddenly everybody's taking off all their masks. He could be worse after he's dead. You don't know anything <laughs> <Yeah>. about him. He <laughs> could explode and uh, release mm-hmm. spores that turn you into an E.T. for all you know. You have no See? idea. See? See? See, mm-hmm. then, then he would be the real monster. There you go. Well, that yeah. would only happen if they fed him after midnight. Yeah. Peter Coyote gets to talk now. He, we've been seeing him do a lot of <laughs> hip acting, basically. <laughs> He's real hip. But, uh, Jingly acting. But, uh, but we get to hear Peter Coyote, who is a, it's, it's fun. He's a fun actor. And he, he says, Elliot, I've been to the forest, which I really love that. I love that moment. Mm. You know, what's he doing there? And it, it is like he's... He's still threatening uh, as an outsider, but at the same time, you get the sense that he's, you know, I don't know, he's starting to make a connection and we and we and we begin to uh, appreciate a little bit more about about what's going on here. Well, he's he's able to say, I get it. I kind of know what what's going on. Yeah. And it's okay to talk to me. Exactly. He's one of us to to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's still a grown-up who has a job to do, but he at least empathizes. And lots of doors to unlock. And I, I thought that was just a really good bit of acting by Henry Thomas, the, the kid to playing Elliot at that part. Mm-hmm. I thought he was – it really stands up for mm-hmm. a kid. Henry Thomas has to has to carry a whole lot of this movie – and uh, does a does a pretty you know he does a pretty darn good job. He he's one of the reasons this movie is a success. He was um, he was eleven when this movie came out, so presumably ten eleven when they shot it. And uh, he does a pretty amazing job. I gotta say, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm usually not a I'm kind of like Lisa in that I'm not a fan of child actors uh, in general, but I do think that Henry Thomas is fantastic. I mean, they really just shot for the moon here and and hit it because you get Henry Thomas, Andrew Barrymore yep. in the same film. No wonder it was a blockbuster. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Alligators in the sewers. <laughs> this is the moment where uh, E.T. dies then and uh, everybody leaves the theater sad, right? Well, so <laughs> I, a moment that I really love as a science fiction fan in this movie is there's that moment where they, they keep showing their charts and they're both getting more and more sick. And then uh, and then their their vitals begin to diverge from one another. And he mm-hmm. and you know he and and so suddenly Elliot and ET have se- have separated and Elliot is sort of shouting and at you can as a as a non you know science fiction literate film goer you don't even need to really get that but I I love that because this is they 
all of those signs are there from when they first attach to this moment, which is this is E.T. detaching from Elliot so that he doesn't take him down with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I, when I saw this, this was the one moment in when I was young that I sobbed like a baby. Uh, oh. It is gut-wrenching when Elliot screams, you're killing him, you're killing yeah. him, and they aren't yeah. listening to him. That was utterly painful for me back then. Now, I was pretty sensitive back then. I, I wept buckets over Snoopy go home, Snoopy come home. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> but in this case, you know, his helplessness and his inability to stop the adults from doing something awful. Uh, they're doing all of the wrong things in their in, in in their hapless effort to save the alien. Except I don't I don't think they are. I really don't. I think they're trying their best to save him. And at that yeah. point, he's at that point he's detached, so he has no idea that that what they're doing. So I I honestly don't think that they are what's killed killing ET at all. I think he was just dying anyway, and that's why he detached. And there's and nothing after that, that they point, could do for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're doing okay. their best, and you know they had the which is another reason I think that Jason was his observation right at the beginning was was so real and so right on is that there's there's really no bad guy even even in this scene where these are sort of the scary people and it's in this you know this is a whole section of the movie i did not remember at all uh the hospital type stuff and even even these people are actually they have et's best interests at heart and they're trying to save him a little kid kid who is just so scared that and he just doesn't understand what's happening that he assumes that that they're hurting him even though that's not really the case i think i agree i don't i don't even necessarily think that elliot believes that they are intentionally trying to kill him i just think mm. he believes that they're screwing it up and he's lost that agency i mean he's been et's protector yeah. and now he is not and yeah. i think that's a big part right. of why he. And that was there. the thing that really destroyed me and he feels powerless yeah. about it i i uh so june 1982 was a real bumper uh a bumper time for me crying in movie theaters because you know Star Trek Two came out the week before, yep. <laughs> oh boy. and that is the most I've ever cried in a movie theater when Spock dies. Spoilers for Star Trek yep. Two: Spock dies at it. And, what? Uh, yeah, I know. And then ET ET dies in in ET, and it's very sad. And I and and that was like came out the week later. I don't know if I saw them the week they came out, but pretty soon thereafter, right? I saw both those movies in quick succession and remember just bawling at both bawling my 11-year-old eyes right out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, Chip, yep, that's it. So, you, basically, when E.T. died, you just couldn't take anymore, and you left the theater, and and uh, and, and that was <laughs> the, the end. end of the movie, right? Yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so, then, it turns out E.T., the, the, the flower comes back to life, and it turns out that E.T. is not dead after all. All he needed to do mm-hmm. was be stuck in a fridge. For years, I have thought that this is nonsensical, and a ripoff and shameless and manipulative. But it's not. I have come all the way back around on this, which is mm-hmm. I, I, I will, I will uh, cite my previous statements about aliens, which is he's an alien. I don't know what he's doing here. We assume he's dying. He's probably putting himself in some sort of uh, hibernation or stasis until his people come to get him, at which point he wakes mm-hmm. up, which he does because they do, right? So I, I, I'm mm-hmm. willing, even though it's never explained, uh, I, I originally felt kind of negative about it, but now I feel like he's an alien 
we, we you know we shouldn't put our labels on him. Is that is that how you feel about this, Erica, or do you have some other reason yeah. why this is? I, I'm pretty pretty close to that because I like I said, not remembering this, I I was starting to feel the same way that you originally did. I was like, oh my god, is this the end of the Matrix again, where love conquers all and that's what saves it? <laughs> like it's a crying boy and suddenly he's better. And I was I was getting ready to be very grumpy with this film, um, but then no, when his when his little heart thing starts glowing, one of the very first questions that uh, that he the kid asks is are your people coming back and et says yes so i think it's very clearly laid out that the reason that he is is getting better is because his people are close enough that he's able to have this connection Ah. i mean they show at the very beginning of the film that like when when one person's heart lights up all of their hearts light up and that's how you know Ah. they're connected in some way and i Mm -hmm. i assume that that's why et started dying in the first place because he had been disconnected from his people for so long and they were so far away. Yeah, they got close enough that he was he was able to revive. I mean, the, I do believe that the alien, you know, he's an alien. So we don't necessarily know what being dead means for an alien. I mean, maybe if he would have stayed like that longer, he would have actually died. And this was just the nick of time. They don't explain that. But but yeah, he's an alien. He needs his people close. They got to Alpha Centauri and they're like, hey, where's Barkley? So now, yeah, that's right. We got to turn around and go back. And we're getting a signal that's really weird. It's like somebody put this together with a tin can and a, uh, and some string. tin foil and, a, and, a, and some string and a circular saw. Um, so then we get wacky breakout action scene that happens, which is funny. And this is the part that I had forgotten all the details of, uh, but it all came back to me as I'm watching. We get the, they figure they figure they have to break out. They steal a van that's got the plastic uh, tube on the end and there's a guy in it for a while. And then, and then he finally, they finally disconnect it and, and, and eject him. Uh, there, there's a great line in here where, cause Michael is driving the van and, uh, and they, they, he, Elliot questions his driving, and he says, "Look, I've never driven forward before because we only see him backing the, earlier in the movie. We saw him backing the car down the driveway for for his mom." And then, and then there's a, a line where he's like, "They're supposed to go to the park, and he doesn't know how to get there because mom always drives." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They get there on the bikes, and the bikes can go all sorts of places. The cars get so then you get this. The the cars are chasing them, and they get they they get on they get on their bikes. Uh, there's a, another great line is, can't he just beam up? This is reality, Greg. <laughs> the week after Star Trek. That's amazing. So then there, there's a bike chase. The cars are going around and the bikes are, are chasing around. It's it's really a pretty great little bit of scenery where the, the bikes are trying to go, like they go down like down the side of one house and then come out, but then the cars are right there. Like that wasn't, they couldn't lose them there. And uh, it's it's really good. But eventually they're they're caught and they can't escape. The cars, there are cars in front of them and cars behind them, and they will never be able to get E.T. to safety. Uh, so so they're more flying bikes. <laughs> and to answer your question from earlier, this is where I lost my ah, mind. And it felt yeah. like most of the theater did, too. I mean, it was because there was so much tension, the music, the way they were doing the camera zooms, and suddenly they start flying and the music uh, swells. And, man, it, mm-hmm. it just was awesome. I, I whooped out loud. I don't know if I've ever done that in a movie um, <laughs> when it happened. I just couldn't control my. I remember my friend was sitting next to me looking at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I didn't even mention the fake out. Right before then, what happens is they break into the clear and they're like, we made it. And then immediately there are people all around them and the cars come and that's when they fly. Yeah. So it's super ratcheting up of tension. There's like, it's almost like a jump scare. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then they fly away. It's hysterical. It's hysterically funny, you know? <laughs> He, dude's like, dude's cocky. Yeah, we, we did, made we did it. it. And then uh, 
And then there's all the people because, you know, you're just trying to escape your kids trying to bike away from a major international global incident that your government is on top of. (laughs) It might be hard to bike away from that kids but they think they, they think unless your bike can fly but if your bike can mm-hmm. fly it helps a little bit so they fly their bikes in front of the moon because you got to have that uh mm-hmm. you know batman flies his th- everybody flies their things in front of the moon is what i'm saying batman flies his little bat plane in front of the moon et e- e- flies his bike in front of the moon you got to get that good shot in your movie if you're going to fly and the moon is well, when you have that opportunity, you, you, you don't pass that yeah. up. Is I it mean, a full moon? Gotta... Well, we got to do it then, right? I mean, we're lucky this moon. This movie happened during a full moon and not like a like a crescent moon or something. It wouldn't be mm, nearly true. as good. Why don't these things ever happen during like the waning quarter moon? Crazy stuff happens during the full moon, David. That's the well, they the do. Answer. They do. Those yeah. movies. Those movies just never get made yeah. because oh, well, nobody well, wants to see go. those. Yeah. Exactly right. You just see the edge of the bicycle wheel, and that's it. So they reach the forest and the spaceship comes down and is there hey et your ride is here his heart glows (laughs) it's a hell of an uber for all of the and this is another sort of sweet adorable thing about that for all of the tension of the chase scene once they get there and it's clear that et is going to get back on the spaceship everybody comes and stands there and watches and they they take their time saying goodbye it's fine It's all and fine. that's an, another example of sacrificing reality to to make it the the feel what you want it to be because the timing just does does not quite work. No. I, I just feel like people yeah. are showing up at at times that you know that work well for the narrative, not yeah. so much when they would have actually gotten there. Yeah. How is it that Mary and Keys get there and none of the other uh, pursuing law enforcement officers do things like that? Well, he's been you know? to the forest. Yeah. And Gertie gets there first, but she was with her mom, so she runs in way before her mom and Keys do. So what are what are they doing? They were parking the car. They were parking the car. They dropped Gertie off together. To the Ooh. But it's and it's very much of a piece with the end of close encounters too yeah it's again it is an, it, it, it's a it's a nice emotional finish even even if it's not yeah. particularly logical it's almost like yeah I, I i hate to say this but you know it's kind of like the end of a play where everybody comes out on yes. stage and bows this is like everybody gets their chance to have a moment with et before et leaves we all want it we want to have the emotional emotional fulfilling end. we don't want to have gertie's last time she sees et be when he's dead or, or anything like that. And then they said, no, no, no. He came back to life and flew back to his planet. And she's like, I don't know if I believe you, right? Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, just he, like my puppy is on yeah, a farm. E.T. Sure. went to a farm upstate. He's fine. <laughs> a planet upstate. But it is satisfying, I think. Oh, it's totally you know, emotional. They, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. This movie makes, I mean, I think what we've been saying is there are times in this movie where it, it, it I think, consciously makes the decision to go for the emotionally satisfying or, or resonant image Instead of it being like supremely logical, and mm-hmm. that gives you the fairy tale aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, it, everyone talks about it as a science fiction movie, and you know, it won what Saturn Awards and all these things. And you know, it, it's like, oh, it's the greatest science fiction film ever made. And eh, no, it's a fairy tale. It's, yeah, it's a fairy it's a tale with science fiction elements. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's an alien fairy tale. It's a fairy tale about an alien. Growing up with a Catholic theologian in the house, uh, this movie, I mean, without even having the conversation, I'm already going, wow, that's a lot of Judeo-Christian imagery. Holy cats. Because, I you mean, know, it's the dying and the sacrificing to save the human and then rising up, rising again yep. and then going up into the heavens. And 
but it's never him showing up in a shroud it. when they open up the back of the van. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the shroud of E.T. It's kind of yeah. cool. Um, but, you know, it's never heavy handed about it. It's never like, hey, we're going to use this imagery. Boom. You know, it is very light. And I feel more like it's 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 Steven Spielberg uh, rifling through the imagery drawer and knowing, mm-hmm. you know, it is, yes. is, is E.T. meant to be Jesus? No, but E.T.'s, no. E.T.'s storyline is meant to e- evoke things that can be evoked using imagery that lots of people are familiar with, right? It's sort of the reverse. Yes. It's like we, yes. it's in our cultural programming now, and those are, those are things that can be played and exploited and used by the story the movie's telling. And and just like that parallel science fiction movie about hunting the alien, we don't need all of those details because we get it. Yeah. And we can focus mm-hmm. on the characters. Right. And E.T. takes the, the flower that came back to life, and that's the one that he takes on the spaceship. He's like, I got my flower. Because he is a botanist. Right. Well, I feel like they were collecting samples at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So oh, this, yeah. Is, this sure. is one that's pre-potted. Yeah. That was that was the one he was he was left behind because he was trying to collect it. Yeah. I got my flower. I got it. I got it in a got pot. It. It's a flower in a pot. It's perfect. It's mine. I mean, and that's the that's another cute aspect of it. And it goes back to me saying E.T. may not be a very good officer on this spaceship. It's like, I, these aliens are kind of adorable. Like, they really care about plants. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. their thing. And he, and each other. Yeah. All, at the, all, the, all the way back at the beginning of the movie, there's the one still waiting there at the door yeah, on for the E.T. to come back. Yeah. And then and then he, when he, he's had a great adventure and he says goodbye to all of his friends and he says you know i'll be right here we get that it's oh the the tears come, might come back right then and he has a little glowing finger and all that but then he takes his plant and goes away he's like i got my plant i'm good and that's just i i love i love that aspect of it too that it's just like in the end why did et come and visit us he wanted some plants that's it. And you got it. He got him. Yep. But he does he does invite Elliot to go along with yeah, him. That's true. Which I yes. think is a really, really touching moment. And I think yeah. like you can kind of t- I think E. T. knew that he wasn't going to be able to go along with him for the same reason that E.T.'s not able to stay right. on it Earth. It would hurt his heart if he was away from yep. his people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so the spaceship takes off and departs via rainbow for other planets. <laughs> Yeah. Using the rainbow. They engage the rainbow drive. Yeah. Got to install one of those in my car. Sure. need a rainbow drive. And they're gone. Again, to get back to the fairy tale aspects, like, why would it not leave on a rainbow? Come on. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And the music swells, and that's the end of E.T. And E.T. gets home, and everybody's happy. Except maybe the mom. But I think maybe her faith in humanity is restored or something like that. Let's hope. Let's hope it gets better for D. Wallace. And, and you know, you got to think that an experience like this is going to bring a f- their their family together. So, you know, maybe they'll have a stronger bond because they have gone through all of this and, and things will change for them. Plus, you know, the government smashed in through their windows and tented their house. They're probably going to get some sort of, you know, FEMA type settlement, I would think, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're going to they're going to be famous. And and uh, and the dad is not is just out of the picture. So he's they're going on the talk show circuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm telling you, she's going to marry Petey Coyote. Mm-hmm. Well, they were parking the car earlier, so you never know. They were they yeah. were doing something in the car for a while. I, I do think that they'll they'll get compensation of some form from the government for the uh, the they'll probably buy the house. Right? It's like the site of 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 the famous alien mm-hmm. 
uh, encounter and they'll turn it into like a museum or something. There's probably still more research to be done. Elliot, too. I, I would imagine that Elliot, not to, not to totally ruin this movie by speculating what, in reality what would happen next, <laughs> but, but, but to do that, uh, Elliot, has, Elliot is a human who has been uh, mentally attached to an alien, you know, bonded for days with an alien and sort of got a glimpse into the thought process of an alien. I would imagine that they will be talking to Elliot and using him as a research subject for a long time, which would probably be, you know, they'll probably pay for his college tuition and all of those things because of that. So, um, you know, it'll be okay. Eventually, he becomes an FBI agent, and he's teamed with this beautiful, brilliant redhead. And they, oh. <laughs> I did actually want uh, again in a lesser movie that is not that is not this movie. The last <laughs> scene is they go back home, and as they're walking uh, into the front door, Elliot passes a planter box, and all the plants, and he touches it, <laughs> and all the plants bloom back to life. <gasps> he's been left mm. with ET powers. <laughs> And then a guitar solo, E.T. Elliot will return in E.T. 2, The Quickening. Yeah. I mean, there was a spate of movies after this of, you know, aliens befriending children and doing all these things. And and part of the reason every one of them sucked was because they were all about trying to be cute and doing things just like that. You know, it's like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. And and they don't they don't pay any attention to how children really behave. They don't really pay attention to the characters the way this one does. I mean, this is a really well realized group of of characters. Yeah, I agree. It's such a just a great movie. I uh, yeah. I, I started out seeing how much I love it. I since you know when, once I started watching it with my kids and I realized again how much I love it. We had a thing when my kids were growing up every year on Dad's birthday. We would watch ET Aww. together and. Uh, the um sub was kind of like a thing you know and uh i'd say well what do you want for your birthday dad well i really want you to watch et with me and they loved it and we had a great time now my kids are like you know high school and college and i find myself still watching it on my birthday sometimes alone (laughs) it's just such a great i don't know I, i like i said earlier it's a snapshot of my childhood so there's a part of it that i love for that but also i just feel like it's a very well conceived project and everything in it works even the stuff that doesn't work works yeah, for me right you know? mm-hmm. yeah yeah well that, i mean that's magic that's the magic realism uh, I, I i wonder if i'd kept in touch with the movie over uh, over the years it it did not hit me very strongly this time and i i do remember how strongly it hit me when i was a kid but i've been separated from it for so long that as I watched it, I found myself feeling, you know, I'm not really looking for magic realism. I'm not really, I, I am having trouble turning my brain off and uh, I'm trying to turn this movie into something it's not. And I'm, I'm not sure, where, I'm not sure where that comes from. You know, we recently reviewed a significantly lesser movie called Batman Returns that was very, very bright in my memory for something. I thought it was fascinating and weird and edgy and all this stuff and it wasn't. I'm having a similar moment of letdown with E.T. for some reason. I can't really put my finger on it other than all of the other big movies and the big franchises of the late 70s and the early 80s. For some reason, I I feel like they stuck around a little bit longer, and I felt compelled to keep checking in with them. E.T. was a one-off, and... It left me behind, and I'm not, and, and I'm just not sure. Um, do you, how how big does it 
still hold – how big a place does it still hold in current pop culture? Is it a period piece? Is it nostalgia? Or is it still E.T., the big blockbuster that we all still remember fondly? Well, my, my kids both saw it in school the first time. I didn't even know. I was like, wait, wait, you saw it in school? Because my wife and I said, we should, we should see if they want to see E.T. They've never seen E.T. Well, they both seen it. Um, and, and over the course of several days, it was one of those time killer things in school. And that's really not the best way to experience no. the movie. And, you know, and, and so they like it. They liked it when we watched it again. And, you know, I, I can't help but think like the first time I showed them Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan, uh, even knowing that there were more films with Spock later, um, my son, my, my older son really had no idea what was coming. And so when Spock dies at the end, it's like, oh, my God. And he had been shattering all through the movie and he just went dead silent for the rest of the movie. I really want to kind of, you know, now that it's been a little time since they saw it, um, I kind of want to sit down and turn out all the lights and turn off all the devices and just say, let's just watch this and experience it and see what happens. But I know that the whole generation of kids, at least in their school, for them, it's a movie that kills time at school. And that's kind of depressing. Yeah, the um, my I've got my kids are older now, and they've I've already told the story about them seeing it many years ago. But my my sister in law has two kids, uh, five and seven, and we watched it together, and they had never seen it before. And I was super curious to see how they liked it. The seven year old girl was completely in. I mean, from the very beginning, she she really enjoyed it. She wasn't talking; she was watching. Um, during the part where he's dying, she like scooted. In next to me, you know, she wanted to be close, but the, uh, but the five-year-old, he, he just didn't care at all. And and I, I feel like, and maybe this is the grumpy old man, but you know, a lot of like, you know, kids animation style movies today are a lot of like, you know, fart jokes and like gags. And it just didn't feel like this movie resonated with him at all. But I think he might've been too young too for it to resonate with him. Yeah. I have no idea how it how it lands with kids at all these days. But I know for me, kind of like it was with you, Chip, it, I didn't check in with it at all. And I found it I found it an enjoyable film to watch. I think maybe I'm still, you know, schmoopy enough and, and emotional enough to to have all of those those cute, sweet scenes resonate with me enough to enjoy it. I, I don't see myself going back to watch it again. Um, it was just it was it was a fine movie. I, I think it was very well crafted. And I can see how it, it if if I had seen it at the right time or the right age and watched it again and again, that this this would totally have been a movie that I would have returned to again and again. It just that didn't happen that way. And I don't think that it's I don't I don't know that it's as well known in, you know, the cultural zeitgeist as it used to be. I mean, that's that's going to happen. But it's I, I feel like I used to see a lot more references to it in pop culture. And that is is fading out. A little bit. So, I mean, unless some sort of big E.T. revival happens, I would not be surprised if as the years pass, uh, E.T. just sort of fades away. I feel like it's a class. It's a classic old movie and will always be considered that it has. I, I think it has reached classic status. I think what it is not yeah. is a science fiction franchise. Right. And and, yeah. I, right. and it's never going to be that. And that's good. I I read I think the Wikipedia page says that uh 
that Spielberg at one point was throwing around a, a sequel, and they're like, no, 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 no. It would be, uh, it would do nothing but rob the original of its virginity, is what Steven Spielberg said about ET two Nocturnal yeah. Fears, uh, and so that wasn't made. And so it is, you know, I think it's going to be one of those things where people will be like, oh, you haven't seen ET? Oh, that's a classic. Like it's it's on, you know, the National Film Registry. It's a, I, I feel like it's that kind of movie. And so in in the end, I do think it will be remembered, but it's not going to be remembered in the context of something like Star Wars, which yeah. or Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they became blockbuster movie franchises. Because in the end, yeah, it's a uh, largely quiet fairy tale kind of movie. I also would say I do think it looms large on Steven Spielberg's filmography, and Steven Spielberg, <laughs> yes. who is who is. Uh, still making movies. He's 69. He's still making movies, but he he is, it's safe to say, going to be recognized as one of the towering directors of all time. And this is one of his very best films and will remain so. So I think on that level, it will also be remembered. But it's not in the same category as movies that you might categorize it with because it's not. It's just this, you know, it's kind of personal and it's sweet and it's fairy tale-ish and it's not any of the things and it has kind of no villain. <laughs> any of the things that, <laughs> that would require it to be more... I don't feel like revisiting it more than once every decade myself. And, and the... That's fine because I don't, you know, I can't remember the last time I watched watched Casablanca. It's probably time to watch it again, but it, it, oh. it you know, but it's been a little while because I don't feel the need to revisit all of those movies all the time. Uh, still classic, though. I think. Also, Chip, I think somebody needs their heart touched by a glowing alien finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing that I do value about this movie, and it's not, it, it was never intended to be, but it it totally has turned. We started at the beginning calling it a time capsule. It is so thoroughly of its time. It is so thoroughly 1982. Yep. Uh, mm. Down to you know down to him uh playing with his uh star wars figures in front of et and calling them by name you know all of the all of the uh backpats between steven spielberg and george lucas really coming <laughs> out here uh but um i was looking back into my childhood i was looking into 1982 and it looked authentic absolutely authentic um, and and that that is a gift for this movie, I think. And, and just like it does not, it's not like a Stepford portrayal of the suburbs. Right, I mean, right. Growing no. up, think. No. I mean, on Halloween when I grew up, things were rough on Halloween night. I mean, when you went out, you had eggs, and there was stuff going on. I mean, it's so much more milk toast now, at least where I live, compared to where yeah. I grew up. And yeah. you know, penis breath and all that. Stuff, I mean, that's just kind of the way of the world then. And and you know you didn't have GPS on your kids, and you know all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and so that's one of the reasons why I, I know I'm nostalgic for it now, and I enjoy it because it reminds me of a different phase of my life. But but it is it is wonderful that that it is there. The events go kind of magic realist, but uh, but he really he really strives for verisimilitude. He, he grounds it, and and and, and when it, when it's grounded, and when he. Other other movies of the time didn't pay as much attention to where they were. There was set dressing, yeah. but he's actually exploring. This is the pop culture of the time. These are the Star Wars toys. Here's the Dungeons and Dragons. Here's that commercial. And when you do a good job of grounding it 
in, in a time, then you inevitably create a time capsule. And there are other contemporary movies that just are not. Mm-hmm. This one does it. If you're of age that you grew up in this late 70s, early 80s, uh, and you haven't seen this movie in a while, you owe it to yourself to just, just watch it once because it, it is so fun, especially Granted. for someone that lived through that yeah, yeah. era. Yeah. Even though it didn't strike me uh, emotionally uh, the way it does you, David, it uh, it did – it, I, I am grateful that I got that I rewatched it just to sort of reconnect to who I was back then. Oh, back when Chip had a heart. <laughs> yeah, of life. course. Then, then for the next couple of years, because I was a scrawny guy with a long neck, the kids on the bus would taunt me and call me ET. So maybe that also has something. To do. <gasps> I, was, yeah, I think we just got to the root oh, of it. <laughs> shit. Yes, ouch indeed. Therapy via podcast. Everybody hug Chip. It's time. Everybody hug Chip. <laughs> Well, it's time for us all to um, grab our flower pots and uh, return to our spaceship now. So I'd like to thank my guests, Erica Ensign. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to switch my keys to the other side of my belt and uh, head home. Smart move. Chip Sutter, mm-hmm. thanks for being here. I'll be right here. Oh, look at you. Mm. It's it's all, Aww. it's it's working now. Uh, David Lore, thank you. Thank you. I, I will engage the rainbow drive. <laughs> Excellent. And David Sparks, I taught him to talk now. He can talk now. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening. We are indeed engaging the rainbow drive and heading off to the other side of the rainbow, which is in space or something. We will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Turn on your hot light. Okay. 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 I'll stop. I'll stop. Will you? No. <laughs> Let it shine wherever. I just wish I remembered more of the lyrics to Heartlight. <sighs> I'm grateful that you don't. <laughs> Turn on your hot lights. Oh, God. See, I told you I wasn't going to stop. You did that. It's your fault, Jason. <laughs> Chip, I only watch Baywatch for the articles. Mm. <laughs> uh... <laughs> <You're being derailed. laughs> yeah. Error, error, error. Reboot chip. Reboot chip. <laughs> so, somewhere Steve Lutz is smiling.